Hi all, Zach here from Built in Pit. I had the pleasure of speaking with Pittsburgh's own Michael Klauser. Michael is the co-founder of the startup race, Ask a Techie, and Nautilus Bean. His blog is called The Academic Entrepreneur, and he also runs a venture consultancy called Nose Cone Ventures. He's a former professor of entrepreneurship and venture capitalist with a wealth of knowledge and background. Luckily for me, he took the time to sit down and answer some of my questions, like how the VC industry has changed over the years, tips for founders in Pittsburgh, how universities can better support startups, and his advice for aspiring entrepreneurs. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I guess just uh, if you wouldn't mind, give me a, a brief synopsis of your background, um, how you, some of your travels, how you came into Pittsburgh. and. Oh yeah, sure. So I grew up in Pittsburgh, and I left when I was um, 18 for university, studied um, hotel administration at Cornell University, and then I ran hotels for a while, and from there um, I ended up doing turnarounds of hotels and got into developing software to like solve problems and, and, and eventually distribute rooms, you know, sell rooms online and started an early online travel company in 1994. And sold it in 1996 to a larger player and went back and I ran an incubator at Cornell University as an MBA mm -hmm. uh, for three years and we spun out companies like Course Info. So uh, since that time I've been really interested in like university generated entrepreneurship and mm -hmm. student startups and so on. Then I went and uh, after MBA worked in Silicon Valley for a venture capital fund called .edu Ventures investing early stage graduate uh, led startups, graduate student startups, computer science mm -hmm. oriented. Um, we invested early. I worked with the uh, professors whose students started Google. So we were really kind of focusing on that model, you know, computer science type yeah. startups by graduate students. Um, and yeah, that was a lot of fun. Lived in the Valley for like four years. Then went to University of Edinburgh and did some more education and taught um, entrepreneurship there and ran a cl collaboration called the Edinburgh Stanford Link. Oh, interesting. And I taught technology entrepreneurship for like seven years there to student, to computer science students. Mm -hmm. And um, then went to Canada for about four years. Wow. Yeah, and just came back to Pittsburgh um, in September. So um, yeah, here wow. now and for various like family family reasons for for a little while here, and um, it's nice yeah. to be back in the east. So yeah. there's me. That's amazing. So it sounds like you kind of started on the entrepreneur side, and then jumped into academics as well as VC. What was right? How did you end up deciding to go into VC investing, or how did you get that start? Oh, okay. So, so yeah, I had started a company in Silicon Valley, raised some angel company, raised some angel money. And uh, we just couldn't get the the venture capital round in quick enough. This is back in the heyday in the early 2000s. So the team mm -hmm. sort of broke apart. And I lived near I lived near uh, Stanford campus. So I um, through some friends of mine, I met this uh, early stage fund mm -hmm. that was run by professors from Stanford. And um, yeah, just started working with them first first more of a part time role, and then it became full time after a couple of months. Yeah. So I kind of just backed into it, and uh, but it was a lot of fun because we were doing really early stage 
startups, you know, from yeah. Stanford and other places, and uh, required me to be on campus almost every day, you know, wow. meeting with people. Yeah, we even looked at a CMU startup as well. We came to Pittsburgh one time, I remember. Mm-hmm. We had a network of advisors who were professors at different computer science programs, and one of them was Raj Reddy was his name in Pittsburgh, and we came here looked at a deal. Didn't yeah. end up doing it, but... So, yeah, I, I kind of fell into it backwards. Yeah, that's uh, Venture capital. What side do you like more? Do you like the starting a company and raising venture capital more, or do you like sort of being the investor and advising? Yeah, I like, I like the startup side better. Interesting. Yeah, it's less lucrative, but I like it better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are some yeah. of the What are some of the biggest differences between all the locations you've worked in, like Silicon Valley or Vancouver, Edinburgh, Edinburgh and Pittsburgh? Like, what really makes Pittsburgh uh, different? Yeah, sure. So I'm still trying to figure figure that out. Actually, um, I think one of the, one of the things about Pittsburgh is it's it's a little more spread out and people it's more suburban so which is i think unfortunate because people tend to live out Mm -hmm. in the suburbs and commute into the city center and then out again and i think that probably is not a great thing for the entrepreneurial ecology whereas other places i've lived have been a little more city centric like edinburgh scotland for example or victoria british columbia um but on the other hand with i think in oakland with the concentration here of universities yeah and uh, be, yeah, between Oakland and Shadyside and so on, I could really see um, the community being built around around this uh, centric yeah. place. So I kind of see that happening a bit, um, just in terms of office space. Obviously, there's some residential here already. So mm-hmm. I would like to see it get built up, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Oakland. Yeah, I um, worked more in concentrated. Some... So. Yeah, I've worked in some co-working spaces in that area, and you can definitely tell there's more of a, people go out on the street a little bit more and interact a little bit more. Like the clump of co-working spaces is already there, which could be big. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Right. How how do you think the industry's changing, the VC industry's changing from when you first started to to now? Um, yeah, it hasn't changed a whole lot in terms of the models and so on. I mean, one could argue that for a while there is internationalizing a little bit where you had uh, some of the funds were spreading internationally like DFJ, Draper Fisher Jefferson, and um, Benchmark Capital and so on. But on the other hand, they've, they've since really retracted. So DFJ, for example, opened up Draper Triangle here. They franchised out Draper Triangle which is mm. based in Pittsburgh, but since that time, DFJ has actually contracted and they sort of like have spun these venture firms out. Um, I think there are some more, there's some new models. I think the whole, um, in terms of the accelerators, I think have really grown since, you know, when I first started. I mean, they were always around accelerators, incubators, but that whole mm-hmm. segment has grown because um, I think the VCs have been more open to it because um, they realize they're not really good with the really early stage stuff and they don't have the bandwidth and mm-hmm. because they manage larger dollar amounts they don't have the bandwidth to manage that so you see the these incubators like Y Combinator mm-hmm. um, you know 500 startups with Dave McClure and there's been a whole proliferation of accelerators so I think that's changed a bit although I wouldn't call that venture capital that's really like 
acceleration or incubation yeah. early stage but I think that's been a good thing mm-hmm. um, but other than that the model the venture capital model really hasn't changed a whole lot um, Interesting. It'd, be, yeah, it'd be good to see it to see it open up a bit and get more capital in yeah into it um, with more creative models but part of it part of the problem is just the whole 10-year 10 to 12 year model of venture capital where there are kind of these long funds, private equity mm-hmm. institutions because of the size, you know, institutions have to come in. And mm-hmm. so there hasn't been a, there hasn't been a whole lot of innovation in it. I'm curious how you see the relationship between universities and startups having evolved over time. It seems like uh, in my experience, I sort of saw that happening a little bit more when I was in school and, and now yeah. it seems like very much more common where a university will actually kind of play the role of accelerator or incubator. Sure. Um, how has that Abs- evolved? In yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, part of my PhD was looking at that very topic. Yeah. So I think that has evolved in a lot of universities, especially in UK and in the USA. Mm-hmm. Not as much as in Canada yet. And then you have it in certain portions of the world. But yeah, there's definitely more emphasis now and resources going towards, um, you know, encouraging entrepreneurship and encouraging commercialization from the university side. Mm-hmm. Um, and more mechanisms have been put into place, more programs. So there's a lot more, there's a lot of learning and sharing of best practices has been going on around that space. Yeah. So um, yeah, that has definitely uh, increased over the years and sophisticated a bit. Is there any big room for improvement that you see that you wish that some universities or even maybe some VCs might change in how they work with student startups? Well, there could def- I think there's definitely a need for more resources at the student startup stage, especially in terms of early stage financing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I believe that universities have actually can play a much larger role in the supply of capital um, and especially early stage financing and through some creative ways like well some there are some university venture funds they tend to be pretty small that are kind of internally driven but also just um, pr- uh, private venture capital funds and their enroll and their their role in those as investors um, you know, a lot of these universities have pretty sizable endowments that are investing mm-hmm. in things like real estate and public exactly, equities yeah. and, you know, carbon emitting companies and so on. And I think that those investment dollars would be better served investing in like localized venture capital funds that are run, um, you know, for profit, but also with an eye towards, yes, yeah, student startups and faculty startups and mm-hmm. community economic development Mm -hmm. so I think universities have a larger role I mean if you look at the history of venture capital they actually universities really were responsible for starting venture capital as an economic development mission in New England you know where Mm -hmm. uh, MIT and Harvard actually got together and kind of started the first venture capital fund as we know today yeah so there's a lot of history there Mm -hmm. so um, I just think that um, the the, you know the endowments the the endowment management from universities is sort of um, 
what's the word? I don't want to say naive, but kind of uneducated when it comes to the venture capital asset class. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, they could really, not all of them, a lot of them, um, you know, some of them are quite sophisticated, like Yale and some of the Ivy Lakes and mm-hmm. investing in venture funds, but most of them are pretty naive about the asset class, super conservative. And um, I think there's big opportunities for universities to, to, to play a role in, in, yeah. in providing what ultimately will be more early stage capital. That's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Did mm-hmm. you have a, when you're investing, it seems like a lot of your investments were mainly in the service industry, um, if I can make that judgment. But did you have a particular product category or a niche that you like? Well, a lot to of them were in, on? I would say, software mm-hmm. and infrastructure. So, yeah, they were more actually more kind of product driven. But yeah, I mean, basically, mo um, at the time it was internet, internet infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, Things like, for example, you know, we invested in a caching company in the early days to kind of have a globalized caching network. Oh, interesting. Yeah. For example. And, um, uh, yes, but but ba- basically they were software, internet driven, and now, you know, a little more mobile and applications. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, in that general space, space and now, um, you know, the same we're looking at more um, uh, projects in the data um, you know data analytics and data visualization mm, and so on online travel has always been a focus as well mm-hmm. that I've been involved with um, just because it's such a big marketplace so yeah what sort of technologies do you think stand out in Pittsburgh particularly what are you good question I'm still trying to trying to figure that out I mean you've got the usual um, self-driving cars yeah yeah <laughs> usually the you know robotics and um, you know AI artificial mm-hmm. intelligence you know at a CMU I think e-learning has a big opportunity here and you see that with like Duolingo, Duolingo yeah but that, that's a really good question um, you know and I'm still trying to find out the answer to that mm-hmm. so is, is terms of where there's real competitive advantage. I mean, I think the obvious ones, yeah, are the robotics and AI, but there's probably some other ones, as, some other categories yeah. as well. So I just don't know yet. <laughs> What's, what sort of metrics do you look for in a startup to determine, uh, like let's say you're looking in the travel industry, what is the, the key metric that you look towards that really says this is a potential winner? Yeah, I mean, the easy answer to that question would be like traction, mm-hmm. you know, customer traction and usage. Um, you know, are people u- using using it even in the, you know, right after the MVP, you know, the minimum viable product, like are people actually using it, yeah, engaging with come it? come back and use it again type thing? Right. And and then there's also some evaluation of how, how much innovation is there. And then I would say in that space in particular, you know, ease of use um, how easy is it to use and how user friendly? I mean, I think that UI, mm-hmm. UX stuff is really important on mm-hmm. how people, how easy it is for people to use products and migrate through mm-hmm. them. In in my experience talking to some startups in the area, it seems like they 
they feel that they have access to accelerators or even incubators to get that initial seed round to build the MVP, but a lot of their challenge is in getting that next round, that, that big investment post-MVP. Right. Uh, what advice would you give a startup or an entrepreneur who's looking to raise a bigger round? How could they maybe approach a VC uh, more efficiently to, to get that big, big push? Sure. I mean, so that's, that's what we refer to the equity gap, which I've seen in a lot of different regions, you know, including Vancouver, BC, and Edinburgh, and I know it's here in Pittsburgh. So, um, <clears throat> well, I think that you ha there's a few things. One is you do have to sort of, um, you know, build some traction and kind of highlight highlight that I think traction today is really important. Mm -hmm. Um, even even if you can show an increase in customer usage or some kind of revenues, so you want to sort of highlight that, and then obviously there's still today, unfortunately, it's still really necessary to build a really good pitch. Mm -hmm. You know, um, to have your one pager and also have a you know good a good short pitch PowerPoint. I mean, it's still important. And then what I would say is um, they they would really want to reach. Uh, to go out of the region, you know, and contact other venture capitalists mm -hmm. because the more competition you create, the better. So you want to be able, you know, New York's not that far away. There's a concentration of venture capital there. Companies like Union Square Ventures, for example, especially mm -hmm. for for consumer apps. You know, Boston and then Silicon Valley and Seattle and even Chicago now, I would say even track down some folks in Chicago Anybody yeah. that was in and around, there's like a little Groupon mafia there, from what I hear, almost mm -hmm. like in Silicon Valley, the Facebook mafia. You got a little Groupon mafia in yeah. Chicago. So those kind of areas, and it takes a lot of research, and you want to sort of uh, find those folks. And then for the initial pitches, for initial conversations, you can work over Skype or Zoom. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to travel there until you get closer to closing a round. Mm -hmm. And then, so I would say you, you almost, it's almost 100% necessary to go out of the region. Yeah. There's a few new venture firms uh, in the region moving in. There's obviously established companies like DFJ Triangle, but I just read about, or I've heard about also through some people, Drive, Drive Capital out of Columbus, mm. which is started by an ex-Sequoia partner, a couple of ex-Sequoia partners. One of them who I knew in the Valley was Mark Vame. Um, who's moved to Columbus, mm -hmm. and so there's a they have a new, a couple hundred million dollar fund, and they're actively looking for companies. So, mm -hmm. a lot of it's just doing research, you know, on who the players are, and yeah. there's a lot of research involved. I think that would be my that's what I always advise my students. Of course, I was teaching yeah. entrepreneurship, and it's like okay, research, 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 and yeah, you got to develop pitch and show traction, but a lot of it's researching the players and yeah. Do you usually recommend um, reaching out directly, like trying to play the email game, or do you think it's best to work through connections, sort of like the LinkedIn style of first, second, third degree connections? Or Yeah, I would say the latter. It's always better to, to work through a connection and try to get an introduction through somebody you know, mm -hmm. whether it's LinkedIn or through you know personal picking up the phone. It's always better to do that, but there's also a trade-off of time as well. Sometimes you just, if you don't have the time, sometimes like reaching out directly 
mm-hmm. is just as effective. Um, obviously, there are things like networking events and so on, but some of these folks you won't be able to meet um, without going, uh, without traveling. So mm-hmm. if you're, you know, that and travel costs money. But also, um, you can work. I think working through organizations and associations, you know, getting involved with organizations and associations. Yeah. It's always helpful in meeting people through those connections like the Tech Happy Hour yeah. <laughs> in Pittsburgh and other organizations um, and associations as well. Especially if you're a student, you know, just get get a student membership and mm-hmm. try to get involved that way for $60 a year into something. And Yeah. What is your typical engagement like as a VC after you make uh, a typical investment or an average investment? Do you communicate weekly, monthly, quarterly? Good question. So I think in the short answer is probably not enough engagement. Is There's probably in general in the industry like the entrepreneur expectations are much higher than what's actually delivered from venture capitalists in general. Um, and it also depends on, so that's kind of unfortunately the standard it also depends on the um, the role of the venture capitalist whether they're just a um, you know an observer or a co-investor or whether they're a lead investor so they're a lead investor in the company you know meaning they're playing the board role as well mm-hmm. there's usually a monthly board meeting and then usually a, a weekly conversation I would say okay that's pretty standard so there's a week there's a couple hours a week spent on the phone or in some in person maybe or some sort of communication then there's usually a one board meeting a week for uh, sorry a month for a while mm-hmm. and that's why the venture capitalists a lot of times they want to be local mm-hmm. the leads anyway they want the sort of to be within a hundred mile radius or 150 miles so it's a two or three hour drive mm-hmm. because there are more frequent board meetings and meetings and so but I I also think um, just from being on that side of the industry that the onus is on the entrepreneur as well to kind of engage their investors, you know, and pick up the phone and even to, to work with the um, co-investors or some of the people that maybe aren't on the board, but have invested to reach out to them mm-hmm. and just communicate what is needed. You know, whenever I'm talking to entrepreneurs, I always want to know, okay, what, you know, what are your bottlenecks? What do you need? And usually they'll be able to articulate that. And it's just a matter of, yeah getting that word out so people know i think you know that's i'm always i think of it like a manufacturing process a bit it's like there's constantly these bottlenecks and mm-hmm. you got to get through and so as an entrepreneur you want to keep being able to identify okay i have this bottleneck now i need to solve it and then and then of course there's going to be another bottleneck right after that and then you want to sort of be able to mm-hmm. identify that and articulate that and try to get the help to solve that yeah that w- that leads perfectly into my next question what what do you see are kind of the additional services a VC might bring to the table other than capital? Oh, like yeah, sure. Recruiting, it seems like, is Yeah, absolutely. Recruiting, helping fill out management teams. Interesting. Um, customer introductions to oh, potential yeah. customers. Now, if it's a consumer play, it might be more of a partnership, a branded partnership. Say you're a... Um, uh, let's say a data data analytics company, you know, that venture capitalist, they might introduce you to, hey, Duolingo, this is a potential partner for you. Mm-hmm. Or 
if you're, uh, I'm sorry, I was thinking about consumer. If you're a, um, say you're a health and wellness uh, distributor of some health and wellness product, you might find a bigger platform to go on. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but there, there's some good platforms out there that serve the health and wellness sector, so they might make that yeah. introduction. So customer strategic partnerships. Um, I think just thinking through strategy, a lot of strategics, that's where a VC should really add value is helping the entrepreneur think through a strategy and what to do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big service. And um, just referring them to, say, service providers that they might need help with this and that, or even suppliers, you know, specialty suppliers. Mm-hmm. I mean, say you're looking for, like, a, you know, virtual reality 3D modeler or developer, you know, um, the venture capitalists would be great if, if in, within their network they knew some people that had those kind of technical skills or knew people that knew them mm-hmm. that could help. So they kind of help facilitate and kind of make things go faster, you know, than they would otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like what I'm kind of curious, what is the typical vetting process like? How do you go from, I like the pitch, I like the MVP, but how do I know this team can execute this idea? Like the Theranos example always comes to mind where, you know, people believed it could work and then it fell flat on its face. Like what would you say is the typical vetting process? Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I think part of the, the um, assuming that there, there's a syndication, that there's going to be a syndication, which means multiple investors, which is usually the case, the stark reality is that some of the vetting process is, is all about momentum, like a certain VC firm or angel will invest and then everybody else wants in. It's a little bit they, of a group thing. Yeah, yeah, there's a group. <laughs> but on the other hand, assuming we're talking about the lead investor, you know, that's making that bet, then um, I think more and more, it's it's bec- back to traction, it's becoming about, you know, who's got some really traction okay yeah their team is good and their product is is you know up and coming they've got a good vision but if they're getting some traction now some revenue and customer usage that makes all I think that makes a lot of the difference so be able to articulate and show some of that mm-hmm. today even if it's really early on the minimum product or service is really becoming more and more important back when I was you know, full in doing VC, we were really like, our vetting process was um, getting technical verification from the the advisor, the professor advisor who sent, who referred the deal to us. And we knew it had some technical prowess. Mm-hmm. And then we would do some market analysis and research on it. Um, and then we would, we didn't worry about the team. We would help, they usually were computer scientists, so we could help fill out the team. But um, I think today it's a little bit different. It's more about some early uh, customer verification interaction, which is which is good, I think, because it's just more realistic. It you know you're mm-hmm. betting on less of a fantasy and something that's actually like materializing Tangible. in the real world. Mm-hmm. Although, granted, not every startup type can have that kind of early customer. You know, some of them have a much deeper R and D. So then you're looking at things more like, yeah, their academic background, their ability to do good R&D, their team, mm-hmm. and the, you know, really uh, making sure they really understand the customer and the problem they're solving. You know, mm-hmm. how deep 
are they in understanding that problem? Mm-hmm. Um, do they really understand it or not? So, and then for a lot of times then you're picking up the phone as a venture capitalist and you're talking to those potential customers yourself to see if there's really that problem, if it really exists. Mm-hmm. And would such a solution address that problem? Now you may not be, because of IP protection, you may not be straightforward about talking about it in that way. Mm-hmm. But you really want to really understand, verify that customer problem if you don't know it already. Makes sense. Okay. Well, one final question for you. Sure. And I'll ask, I'll give you the scenario of it's the last day of class and you're talking to your students, a room full of aspiring entrepreneurs. What's your one big piece of advice or lesson learned from your career? Oh, wow. I'm trying to think what I actually would tell my students. Yeah, I, I guess what I would probably tell them is that, um, you know, entrepreneurship, two things, you know, one is entrepreneur, entrepreneurship is a team sport. And so there are some solo entrepreneurs, granted, but usually there are teams. I mean, you look at any of these, even solo people that appear solo, you know, they all had teams around them, mm-hmm. like i.e. Jobs or Gates or, yeah. and um I would say, you know, it's really building a team is really important and learning how to work with a team mm-hmm. is really important and learning how to work with people and kind of, you know, sometimes it requires a bit of compromise and so on and some understanding. But so I think that's really important. And the other part is like entrepreneurship is is really a learned sport as well as a team sport and a learned sport in that you kind of you learn by doing. So I would just encourage them to go out and do it and try you know and learn and pivot you know and make don't be afraid to fail and make mistakes and I've had students of mine come back to me after years and said yeah you're exactly right like we had this idea you know it was a big opportunity and we didn't do it and so we went and worked for a company in London and these other guys did it you know and Mm -hmm. they're like they just sold out for 25 million and I tell them yeah I mean you were just as smart as they were and you might have been a little bit younger, but just smart, you could have figured it out. It just, you just didn't actually do it. So yeah, yeah, I encourage them to go and try and learn and fail. You know, and it especially helps it well if you could do that and build a team at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the third little thing, which is kind of interrelated, yeah, would be yeah, just keep you know just building that network is really important of people you know and contact mm-hmm. base. Um, you know, trying your best not to burn bridges, um, but just keep building that that network up. That's that really serves you well in the future. Awesome. Well, sir, thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. I really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. It. Yeah, you're welcome, Zach. Thanks. Thank you.